Hello and welcome back to the Udcast with me, Andrew, Chris, Chris and Laura. Hello. 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 And we're going to be talking about the next Doctor. Which we've just seen in new high definition Blu-ray format with 5.1 surround sound. Mm. Mm. And I have to say, I enjoyed it heaps more than I did the first time round. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I I loved it too, but I still enjoyed it more than the first time I saw it. My main memory of watching it when it was first on is of the Cyber King and thinking, that's... That's that's silly and doesn't work and uh, makes the whole story null and void. Now, you said that during it, and I'd be very interested to know how it makes the story null and void. Well, I just think as an idea, it just seems daft to me to have this big humanoid robot thing that's something like 500 metres high, stomping around. It seems a completely impractical way of dominating a planet. But isn't that just the same as having a spaceship? This time it's, it's a walking thing. But isn't it the idea that it's some kind of it's a cyber dreadnought? Dreadnought-class starship. So it's the way yeah. they travel. So yeah. presumably they pour out of it after they've um, conquered, conquered uh, and bring people I back into it for the factory. Feet squashing I, I do agree, though. I, I do agree that as a method of transport... It, um, it's not the most efficient. Yeah, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. Mm. But don't you think that... I mean, Galactic I still don't agree that that necessarily that efficient. <laughs> I think it can fly. It's just a starship. I just don't think we see it fly. Well, otherwise, they're only going to be invading very flat <laughs> planets. <laughs> yeah, but it's the influence, isn't it? Where he's bringing in kind of Ted Hughes, the Iron Man, that mm. kind of well, the Victoriana theme punk aesthetic mm-hmm. that runs through the whole of the episode. I think it's a brilliant end, and visually, I think actually visually it's a fantastic episode. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a fantastic psychological drama. And you're not going to see very many personal stories like that on, mm. on telly at that time of day, Christmas Day, when family viewing. At that time of year as well, this is quite dense plot-wise for a Christmas special because a lot of Christmas specials go for something that's really light and happy. But even so, it doesn't bring in all of the baggage of the mythology mm. that much. There's just a brief thing about the Daleks and the Dimension Vortex control thing looks a bit like a Dalek, but there's none of the new series mythology that they feel like they have to bring in on big events. It is actually quite a nice standalone story. And as I was watching it, I was thinking... This is one I could show to someone else almost without them having seen anything. I mean, it just stocks so jubilantly. There's just it's straight into this Dickensian Christmas scene. The music's amazing. They've really gone to town on the period design. The camera swoops around the doctor. He's loving it. It really mm. comes in with such a punch. It hits the ground and running. Do you know what? It doesn't stop it, that energy. I remember you saying when we were watching it, Chris, that this one's got such a, a packet of energy all the way through and leaves you quite sort of breathless. The story uh, holds up all the way through as well. And oh, it's, it's great. It's a brilliant Christmas entertainment. Do you remember one of the introduction bits from one of the bits of information that was put out before it was all of the doctors are going to be in it? And of course they were for a split oh, second in the information pack, but everybody was getting very, very excited. But thinking, that's... Oh, here are going to be all the doctors. 
but yeah, it was just an in- interesting device. That's one of the things that bugged me. I, I have a, a slight, I don't know, I, I love the Cybermen. I've always loved the Cybermen. And this one has a very strange... How do they have so much information on the Doctor? Because they have only met him once or twice. He says that they've stolen it from the Daleks in yeah, the void. That's a bit rubbish, isn't it? It is a bit rubbish, but at least but they have addressed it. It's plausible. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I thought is. you would have been sadder about the Cybermen almost being defeated by the Doctor with an umbrella and a cutlass. No, oh, that brilliant. sort of stuff is, or, that is pure Doctor Who. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, It buys time really rather like? than success. And it is the first time we've seen all the other um, regenerations of the Doctor in the new series, isn't it? It's mm. the first time we've seen Hartnell, Troughton, et al. It's the first yeah. nod back to the what they call the classic series, the isn't lineage. it? Oh, wait a minute. Is this before the Diary of Impossible Things? Or, no, no, it's after. after. So we have seen sketches, but mm. this is the first <laughs> video footage. Diary of Impossible Things? The, uh, human Nature. The, the Family of Blood. He scrolls oh, in right. it when he's human, ah. when he thinks they're dreams. Very good. So, so, something I really, really liked about it was... Everybody's been talking about the story, but I thought in this uh, this particular episode, <clears throat> what a class cast! I mean, fantastic acting, really very very moving. I thought really the lady who made leads from um, p- played Miss Cartigan was absolutely astonishingly good. Yeah, she's so good. Mm. Mm. What a character! Her and uh, Jackson Lake's character, David Morris, were both. Fascinating characters, massive depth to them uh, of where they come from, why they were the way they were, which is perhaps even more so than you're used to in Doctor Who, even in the new series. You have Miss Hartigan as a kind of bitter and twisted, always been dominated by men. And now she was fighting back and using her extraordinarily strong mind to do so. And not mind control. That was something I thought very interesting. For the, for the vast majority of the story, she has no cyber technology imposed upon her. She's doing it out of basically being worn down by the society she was born mm. into. She's become a, a human monster. Well, I don't, know. I don't know if that's true, because the ending is all about the Doctor taking away the cyber connection, and then she realises she's with the Cybermen. Yeah. No, at that point she realises that her physical <clears throat> control, because she sees her sort of her paralysed body in the throne and the connection. Yeah, there's a very telling shot of, whereas beforehand her outside world is that of the Cyber King, when when the connection is lost, the first thing she done is look down to her tethered hands and realise that she is actually oh, as see. much of a victim as... So in other words, I, I missed that bit. She's angry at the Cyber She was talking about her rage and her hatred. She turns that upon herself, uh, realises in that second. But it's all her. Even when she becomes a Cyber King, it's all her. Mm. Which is, uh, I think, quite a brave decision because mm. you could have easily just... You know, palm that offers. Yep, mind control, cyber mind control. That's a very Russell T. Davis thing, isn't it? In that he doesn't like to do your standard plots. He doesn't want to go, oh, I'll go for that plot because that's very Doctor Who. As Chris says, quite often she would have been taken over. Her mind would have been taken over by the Cybermen and she would have done cyber things. But in this instance, it was still her taking control of the world through the... um, the situation that the Cybermen have put her into. But you've got to wonder how the initial negotiation between her as a creature of sort of passion and intelligence and the Cybermen as creatures of ultimate logic would have gone to get her to the point where she could be totally carefree when walking amongst them and like what she put into those negotiations, really. I, I was quite interested in that. I, don't, I think it's probably less what she put in, more what the Cybermen wanted to take. Um, and they would probably have seen... 
kind of what her life was like and worked out how angry she was and then decided they could use that for what they wanted. So they offered mm. her kind of the power, the chance to take her revenge. She's a great kind of example of the kind of character that Russell T. Davies seems to write for women. She's got some very... <clears throat> is camp the right word? She's got some very over-the-top lines that she delivers really straight. With, but also and, a very strong character. Mm. Well, there, are th- there are things like, oh, uh, the Cyber King rises, oh, how like a man, and uh, yet another man comes to force himself upon me in the night. <laughs> when, <laughs> yes, there's a, ooh, there's a lot going on with that, isn't there? <laughs> and something I didn't like about this episode was the music. Any I, of it? Well, specifically for the first action scene where they're doing all of the dragging people through warehouses and this and that also i have to admit to being quite distracted during that part because i was mainly thinking oh god his poor back (laughs) at this point it was all coming out in the news about david tennant's three or four slipped and crushed and shattered discs i thought you were saying that you were hoping the the trousers were going to be worn away (laughs) no nothing like that in the real world they would (laughs) i was thinking i would not want to abseil with a, a broken back essentially but anyhow the music it was all full of somebody comedy Wah, 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 kind of type of Scooby Doo jolly japeriness. I'm all right with that. I it's a Christmas like special. It. It's the Christmas special opening action sequence, and there was a it's reason. Fun because you've got to think where the Doctor was coming into this episode, and probably the one thing we didn't have by starting at this point. He's very down, almost destroyed by what's happened uh, beforehand, and this, in a sense, is well. At that point, he thinks he's rediscovering the joy of the adventuring. That you know, getting into scrapes, and I think, I think, although I think your opinion is perfectly valid, I don't think they did that unthinking. I think they wanted to create that sort of japes or the scrapes we get into, and the way they sort of hug at the end, like just laugh. You know, it's it's fun for the Doctor this kind of thing, and that fun is actually one of the things that drives him late into the series into almost being heartless. You know, heartless, and and it's and it's an idea that that has come in beforehand that perhaps the Doctor and Rose, particularly in in the second series, don't really understand that their actions, they're just having fun, saving lives, roaming the universe, having adventures. And actually it's shown first and foremost as a selfish act. You in know, Tooth and Claw. Yeah, well, that's where it starts. Yeah. yeah. That's, it. that's an interesting idea. Okay, but the other irritant in it was the cyber dogs. Um, oh, cyber shades. What are they? Why can they drive characters and yet, <clears throat> sorry, carriages? They can drive a carriage and yet they're still an animal. And how can they um, fly? Yeah. Well, he jumped, I didn't he? It didn't, it didn't. I, I, I have more of a problem with them about, uh, they're obviously kind of just guards, things to shepherd humans around. The doctor but says just, that they're little more than cattle in yeah. the first scene in terms but of their intelligence levels. My, my problem with them is their design. Who decided they should look like open sandwich toasters with a shagpile <laughs> carpet put on them? It just—it looks horrible. They look ridiculous. Do you me. know I what? Just... What I—I I agree with you completely. But I think I can see what Russell T. Davis was going for, and that is a phenomenally good idea. It's like he's thinking again about Victoriana and the way they did those sort of Frankenstein-like Tesla electronic experiments like vivisection of animals and like sticking electric current through frogs legs and seeing them kick all that kind of gruesome victorian sort of science and he's going oh this is a really cool idea i really love that mm. kind of idea of this experiment victorian experiment but it's kind sort of, of done bolting on, cheap, on brass to a gorilla yeah. and you know the cybermen cybermen without very many resources in victorian england would probably come up with something like that so i love the idea but i agree completely with chris that yeah. the what is on screen 
is not great and mm. does look like a sandwich. It's yeah, a bit yeah, like low budget, low budget 1970s Doctor Who monster. <laughs> but elsewhere, the production values are incredible. Mm. I, I mean, I love the period detail. I love, 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 love the red dress and that that when mm. she walks into that stern chorus of of, of men in dark suits and top hats and she's there in this red dress and and with the lipstick and the makeup that whole production value of that and the cybermen rising up in the victorian churchyard all of that is just beautiful classic doctor who and i love it mm, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities in this with sort of more the black and white kind of the more where they went into historical periods a bit more and there's a real sense of kind of the the foreign the alien things in a familiar environment and that i loved when they discovered the info stick stamp the info stamp in the reverend's house that's a great moment and well the way he enjoys that just reminds me of in partners in crime when he puts the sonic screwdriver and sonic pen together just to see what happens <laughs> <laughs> it just it, he's doing a lot i, I this is going, going back to, back to the point. fun the, the I, idea I, of fun isn't it yeah and also uh you've just reminded me of that so funny but it, this has some really great well-played moments of comedy mm. which i don't think we mm. see again in this mm. season mm. Uh, um i'm thinking particularly of opening the door to find the cyberman <laughs> oh yeah and then closing <laughs> it again just he acts that perfectly the bit where he tries to get all the orphans to run by offering them hot pie yeah hot pies just, if you like it there's <laughs> <laughs> just some really great my uh, favorite line is legs on silent oh yes, yes. <laughs> that was a brilliant line <laughs> Oh, and the, when when the Ro, Rosalita is that her name? When she punches Miss Hartigan and said, oh, well, "Can I? Can I just say I completely disapprove?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they run. Yeah. I think actually this is actually one of his strongest stories, uh, Russell T. Davis. In uh, in a lot of ways, I really like the central twist. is a good twist, it, and it works nicely. He defended himself and downloaded content, and it would be compatible with the human brain because the Cybermen's brains are human brains. So that. All of it works enough and it's just a really nice resolution if it was just someone pretending or, you know, the, the whole next doctor. Because obviously the, calling it the next doctor was a stroke of genius in terms of ramping up anticipation. Yeah. You had to have, you had to have a good denouement of that. Mm. What um, do we think of the line? idea of, um, of the, because uh, when the episode started, when, when it was shown, we didn't actually know, we assumed that he wasn't the next Doctor, but we didn't know for sure, did we? No, I, I thought that was it was completely, completely deliberate and and brilliant. I think it was so much fun to see all this stuff. I think if you know Doctor Who enough, you know when something like that happens, it's not going to be as clear as it looks. They call something the next Doctor and then show a clip on Children in Need of someone saying he's the Doctor. That's not quite going to be the whole story. And to watch all these other people go mental because they've seen a picture of Dave Morrissey on set with David Tennant. It just That's hilarious to see that happen. because it, mm. And the way they did it, I think, was quite was really good. I thought it, it provided a lot of the comedy mm. to start with. And then you got the fantastic... The way that David Tennant, well, sorry, the 10th Doctor asks Jackson these questions about, you know, do you know why you're running from this or do you know why you're what you're escaping from? Mm. And you start to think, well, is he asking him or is he asking himself, knowing that there's only a few to go? I completely agree. A lot of it is about making the perfect plot device to psychoanalyse the Doctor because, because it's just a sort of a facsimile copy of the Doctor. It's not the Doctor Donna, but it is 
how the doctor would be if he allowed himself to be exposed to a certain level of human frailty dreams fears a lot of sort of emotion a lot of loss keeps coming up and again and again and uh, i think and that's David really interesting is a perfect channel oh, for it like the level of emotion in those scenes where he discovers the death of his family is really quite heart-wrenching and a commendable streak of nastiness letting the wife get slaughtered like that and i mean i was almost when i was watching it, it's like are the children going to have also been slaughtered is that the other thing oh that's the other thing that, that annoyed kind of me rich... Stol- the stolen away in silence and the children the use of the children it was just a stupid heartstring device there was no particular reason why they needed to be children other than yeah because it, it, it it in... yeah the, the workhouses were uh, an easy source of labour. So, and they were full of adults as well as children. It's riffing on yeah. the Oliver theme. It's all about kind of what's in popular culture. Just nice shorthands he's using to kind of tell the story. But why children? Why children? Because of we no got Oliver, need. and we've that's that's it, yeah. it instantly makes sense as in a, this Dickensian London that he's created. It just makes it sense. It kind of needs to be, doesn't it? But also, I think that the children are more uh, easy to. Um, lead out of the workhouse without them asking questions. If you've got a supposedly responsible adults leading them out, then they'll follow. There's there's quite an important, going back slightly for a second, to the, the whole Doctor and Jackson interaction, where Jackson obviously knows the Doctor's character from seeing this stuff, and he says to Rosalita, just before he goes off to try and stop the Cybermen for the last time, you know, it, you know the Doctor needs help, I learned that much about him. And that's quite an important thing that's gone through the, the whole of the new series, that he can't be without someone with him because he's possibly, what, dangerous, unbalanced. Yeah, and that, and that really becomes a theme. He can't be alone. He realises that later on again um, in Waters of Mars. Let me say a little bit about this cinematography, which I thought in this was very playful and really very interesting. Um. Uh, because I knew the story and I wasn't really thinking about like trying to work out the twists and things which I would do first time through, um, I, I kind of settled back to just enjoy. I, I think I mentioned earlier the bit where the Doctor's turning around at the beginning and the camera's whisking around the markets and the kids and the snow spiralling down. And that was all beautiful. But there was a lot of very playful, interesting touches in the action sequence when Jackson Lake is pulled up. Uh, on the rope right at the beginning by the cyber shade you get the the um the camera dropping down onto the 10th doctor and then flipping onto his face there's a bit there's some really nice stuff even through the um the cgi where you go right up uh past the cyber king's head over the top and down the other side in this sort of arc they're using cranes they're they're really setting the sights much higher than a television series. They're, they're really going for cinematic stuff. They're using the widescreen. The composition is all it's it's really beautifully done. Really shows some heart and and it's it's just a mm. it, they they they're operating high above their budget. I think. Yeah, aiming high and and reaching it definitely. Yeah, such high standards all the way through the so-called new series. Any niggles? Uh, I mean, Laura's gone quite a few. My only niggle was the over-reliance on the info stamp as weapon after the first time. Mm. First time is brilliant, you know, overriding the core, and that's a nice way of defeating it. But then just every Cyberman, gets, seems, he's just cutting a swathe through with what's essentially a memory card. 
and it's their memory card as well. I was really glad that I got a chance to see it again because, um, particularly the Cyber King sequence, because the first time I saw it, I was just kept on thinking, um, oh, I work there. Oh, <laughs> oh, look, that's where I buy my sandwiches. Topologically speaking. Uh, yeah, I was going to say in Dickensian London, there wasn't a lot to. I always buy my sandwiches in Dickensian London. <laughs> that's why I've got typhoid. I have a general thing about Cybermen in the new series is that I think they are too sculptured. To me, they look too camp. They walk funny. I mean, they don't walk like normal robots to me. They they don't they don't have the same. They have their arms sort of hanging. The the listener can't see what you're I know, doing. I know I know they can't see. That. I was Chris doing it to is... remind myself of the word. <laughs> they they look like metal robots of Kenneth Williams to me. <laughs> they don't look kind of butch. They don't look particularly scary to me. They and they've got really flares. Like deco. They look really <laughs> they art do. deco. I they like do. That. They have flares and they have shoulder pads. I love the art deco. I, I love the I metropolis love the kind mm. of influence, I have to say. So, so do I, but I just... Don't on think on a menacing. robot, they're too thin and too... They're not bulky enough to look threatening to me. It's funny you say that because I think they're too bulky with those the big fat arms and the big fat legs. Uh, well, it makes me sound fattest. Um, the flares. So the, the problem that I have a problem... Is the problem I have a problem with? It looks like they're wearing metal flares is your problem. That's it. So what uh, is what we're saying that you would like size zero Cybermen and I would like size 16 Cybermen. <laughs> and it is going up against the Daleks because the Dalek redesign was absolutely phenomenal. Taking, taking the original design and then turning it into a tank, into something that really, that you would actually put an alien warrior in. I mean, I know they could always fly, remember to the Daleks, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But just it becomes a really formidable force they all they did was just bulk up very small differences but it just it's recognizably the dalek that it always was the difference with that and the difference to the cybermen the cybermen i think is they still do the same things the the daleks i think they try too much with they try and do too much with and the, when the stolen earth and journeys end when they had the whole army of daleks swarming around in formation in the in the in space just looked ridiculous to me that it looked a bit too much like fruit flies around a, a, an apple core it wasn't scary it just looked daft so scary I think, for the apple maybe yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> but for, for the sidemen i think that's a really good positive for that is that they still do the same things and they're still sort of they're almost endless in the amount of energy they expend sort of stomping from place to place but to me they don't don't have guns anymore though do they no That's something that maybe annoys me a little bit is I really would have liked to have seen what could have happened, what plots they could have gone on to with the Hell Hath No Fury fusion of Miss Hartigan and the Cybermen, you know, if they suddenly had a mission that was less, what's the word I'm looking for now? If they didn't have a mission that was so sort of obstinate and linear and suddenly they will be able to challenge... Uh, challenge. You'd like to see no, the no, further no, adventures like... of the Cyber King. <laughs> I would. Like maybe he gets a, gets a wife and maybe a little no, cyber dog. No, no, Oh, come on, yeah. yeah thank you very much, because that... that's all that a, a Cyberman with a woman's influence could do, is get a husband get a wife. and a little dog. No, I said and, a wife. Yeah, whatever. No, the point is that with that sort of creative, demonic energy... What could the Cybermen achieve if they had if they had the ability to go beyond the bounds of their current delete convert? The Cyber type. King was never going to last for the simple reason that that sequence probably took half the budget of the whole episode. I know, I know, but just the idea. You the mean idea. what else can they do with the Cybermen? Is, is what if they had the ability to um, cybertize the Earth? Then what 
then what next is what you're asking, is it? No, I'm saying what if they were no longer on a mission to completely cybertize people? What if they were have on... Have we just invented this word, cybertize? Yeah, okay. Cybertize. Nice one. I'm copywriting that now. That was my idea. Cybertize. Refreshing and fizzy. Yeah. It's kind of an energy drink the Cybermen are marketing to take over the world. I know that's been done. Delete. Um, in yeah. future armor. So a, a woman, a woman with all those centuries of repression and anger and, and channeling that into new evil, fresh evil for the Cybermen. What do you think? I'm going to ask this to Chris Foston because he is a cyber lover, oh, a lover of Cybermen. That, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> He's not Yanto Jones, eh? Hey, oh, hey, hey, yeah. I'm not sure is the answer I'm going to give because I don't know. I I generally don't like the new Cybermen as much as I do the old Cybermen. They the old Cybermen had a purpose. They love cricket. Yes, that was a call back from the so, last episode. Very Chris. good. It's such Thanks. a long time ago that it's, I took a minute. Sorry. Um, yeah, they had a purpose. They were looking for basically a home. And they're always looking to to try and take someone else's planet, but this this time, what do they have as a purpose? They they were created by a human as the next version of trigger. humankind. Yes, <laughs> they were created trigger by a trigger. Yeah, um, but what what do they do now? And what is the the point of them now? There there doesn't seem to be anything. I suppose it's a, the point is survival, isn't it? But then, uh, but then, but then what? It, it's the yeah, Lumix was definitely survival, but both of them have both of the human cyber cyber interactions in the new series have been to do with humans filling gaps in their lives in terms of Lumix wanting to survive and Yentu Jones. No, sorry. stop that. <laughs> Lumix wanting to survive physically and Miss Hartigan wanting to expand sort of her social sphere of influence, etc. But Lumic was converted into a Cyberman against his will, though. As was she. I suppose so. Touché. Ah. Okay, well, Ooh. I think we're getting a little... This fair. We shouldn't have girls on this podcast. <laughs> we're getting a little... Uh... <laughs> no, we shouldn't have girls in society. <laughs> well, you said that, not me. Sorry. <laughs> but haven't things moved on? You know, girl Doctor Who viewers? Girl Doctor Who fans? Don't say the next Girls part. in the podcast. <laughs> yes, that's right. Are we going to say it? No, we're not going to say it. So <laughs> I think we need to... Chris will come over here and smack me around a bit. What are we talking about? Which Chris? We're talking about... Just... A woman, Doctor Who! Oh! Oh, there's a whole podcast on why that is a Should bad idea. Should we do that as idea. Podcast 7? Yeah, let's do it. I really was impressed second time round, but I still have a problem with the big stompy cyber king. Uh, but yeah, the central story, the, the real reliance on solid character... And what drives the characters was um, very impressive this time round. I thought the script was brilliant. And um, a second time round, I'm much more able to appreciate the different nuances, fantastic one-liners. Of course, I loved the whole feminist angle, but also the interesting denouement. And I thought that overall, it was a brilliant way of starting off the specials. I hope that they all continue in the same vein. I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really enjoyable. It was sure the Cyber King was was daft and and a bit silly, but um, it's not exactly meant to be gritty realism to me. So um, I I really enjoyed it. The comedy was a really welcome, refreshing 
change from the the misery, I suppose, of the end of series four. So yeah, it was brilliant. Um, I, I'm going to agree with everyone. I think uh, I'd like to echo Laura's point particularly that the casting on this particular one, the, the the extended cast served the story brilliantly. And I think it takes quite a lot to keep up with David Tennant, but uh, certainly the two other principal characters uh, were phenomenal. The uh, script was one of his best, both in terms of the wealth of one-liners as well as the narrative itself, which made sense. Some great foreshadowing of what's to come as well. Brilliant, really, really brilliant. Onwards to Planet of the Dead. Allons-y! Planet of the Dead. 